This is a competitive magic podcast for the average spike, co-hosted by me, Cody DuBose, and the reigning magic world champion, Nathan Sawyer. We're bringing you the best tips, tricks, and strategies to improve your game and be a better player. The Bolt Zone is now in double digits because this is our 10th episode. We are very excited to hit this milestone, even though it's kind of a small one, but it's a big one for us. And we wouldn't be here without all of the amazing listeners who have tuned in so far. Thank you for all the support. Uh, Nathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. And... You know, I know last time we talked about getting into modern with a modern season upcoming, and I'm particularly excited just after finishing the modern pro tour now that we get a full episode devoted to talking about it. Yes, me too. Modern is definitely my favorite format, so I'm excited to dive in and talk about the meta, some of the decks we're looking at right now. Um, We're going to break down in this episode the 10 to 15 most popular decks according to play data from the recent like 30 days, month or so, and tell you sort of what decks you might want to consider, what you might not want to consider, things to keep in mind while you're playing them. And uh, all this is, of course, through the frame that the next RCQ season is getting ready to kick off here on September 9th. That'll run for a couple months then through December 17th, and these will qualify for the second round of regional championships here. So We're going to go ahead and get into that. But first, a couple of shout outs and thank yous to everyone who's taking the time to listen and support the show. Again, our 10th episode, we're super happy to get into the double digits. So we appreciate uh, all of your feedback. We've heard from a lot of you either online or in person when we see you at events. We've heard a lot of positives about the show and, and appreciate all of that. No new reviewers and no new patrons this week. But if you would like to help support the show, you can do so by leaving us a review over on Apple Podcasts, five stars on Spotify, or uh, whatever your your favorite platform is. Or you can also sign up for the Patreon. You can do that for as little as a dollar a month. And this fall, we're going to be adding some awesome new rewards to the Patreon. So stay tuned for an update on that. We'll have that for you very soon. But if you want to check it out in the meantime, we're going to put the link for that in the show notes. Um, Nathan, before we dive into talking about some modder, I hear you've been a a trader and and playing a little bit of a different game. (laughs) Yeah, so there's this new Disney game that's came out for those who are not in the know which is called Disney's Lorcana. And just to give a little bit of a unpaid advertisement about it, Lorcana is a card game sort of similar to Magic meets Hearthstone. And how the game works for those who haven't seen it is you have a land system where you have essentially split lands where you can play your spell as either a face down land in a zone called your inkwell where you normally play a mana, or you can save that to be a spell And so your deck usually consists of about 45 spell lands and 15 cards that can only be played as spells. And one thing I really like about the game is it mitigates the issue of having to play a deck where you can possibly get mana screwed or mana flooded. Instead, you have a ton of interesting options around which spells you're going to play and in which order. Particularly, the game is set up in such a way where you have to think about your sequencing very far ahead of time, which is a skill that I've really liked uh, trying to train. The game currently has a few new tournaments that are coming up. Uh, The big one that I'm going to be attending is a 5K Invitational Tournament run by the guys over at Apex in uh, Ohio. My hometown. (laughs) Yeah, and Caldwell, Ohio, I believe. And I'm going to be playing in this tournament, I believe, Todd Anderson, a fellow 
Magic player, put a lot of work into running this tournament and organizing it. So I'm really excited to play in one of the first big tournaments. And uh, I've had a good chance to play online. They have a client that's a third-party client. Um, I'm totally blanking on the name right now, but you could totally look it up and find it. And um, my girlfriend and I have had a blast playing it together. So I'm really excited to dip my toes into it as well as playing Magic. So, yeah. Yeah. That sounds really cool. I haven't uh, had a chance to play any of it yet, but the I like the design of like the spells also doubling as lands. It almost reminds me of like kind of a cross between like Magic's land system and like Flesh and Blood, where your cards are like your mana or whatever. It sounds yeah. interesting, but yeah. and, and Apex is a great place. So if uh, you're interested in checking out Lorcana, that event will be great. You can come meet Nathan. I might be able to make it down as well. And then uh, they also do a lot of magic events so if you're in the area definitely check it out it's a great store yeah yeah the other thing cody is i think they're going to be hosting some 2k open events so even if you're not going to be in this big main event there's going to be lots of other events you can go down there and play and i'm sure that if you want to read some more about the game a really good resource is frank karsten's recent articles that he's put out just to read some more into how do you look at this game from a magic player's perspective and learn how to play so Totally recommend that as I read some of his recent articles and they're excellent. Imagine that Frank Karsten putting out helpful breakdown articles for a game. <laughs> I know. Who would have seen it coming? Yeah. All right. Well, that's very good. Um, let's go ahead and dive into the game that this podcast is about, which is Magic. And we're going to talk about Modern. So this is the first time that Modern has been sort of in the spotlight for an RCQ season since the new Premier Plague program has kicked off. And so far, our only real example of what this might look like is PT Barcelona. Nathan, you're coming off the heels of that. That was an exciting tournament to watch. The format is super diverse. It's fun. There's a lot of different viable strategies to choose from. So how are you feeling with Modern becoming the new Spotlight format? The way I feel about Modern is the upside of Modern versus Pioneer um, is that matches are matchups are a lot more dynamic. And when I say that, I mean that oftentimes you get to d- deploy your resources a lot quicker, given that we have a lot more free spells in this format. A lot of people see this as a downside to the format, just given that you know some games are over really quickly if the opponent has a lot more free spells than you do. But I actually really like the dynamic it brings to the format, and I find that the gameplay is really nice in the current modern environment. Particularly yeah. if you look at PT Barcelona, we saw a lot of new strategies that were like seen as t- tier two in the format emerge. And I think the inclusion of the One Ring and Orcish Bowmasters actually has added a good dynamic to the format, which might be a hot take, but I've actually found that it helps to keep decks like the, the Ragavan Center decks in check. And also the One Ring is a pretty exploitable card in the current metagame. It's not like the end all be all that some were saying it might be. So some maybe false alarm bells were rung at the start of the modern season. So yeah. going into it, I'm excited to to talk more about what do these top decks look like right now and break them down, and then what can we see some decks adjusting to with the new cards that are being added as well. For sure. I think that's a really good point you brought up. And, you know, like you said, everyone was kind of ringing the alarm bell when the One Ring and Bowmasters came out, and they were just everywhere. And I think, you know, a couple months out from release now, we've seen not only those cards, but the meta settle a little bit and sort of figure out how to play around them. Go back and look at go back and look at my Twitter and you'll see that, you know, I talked about how the one ring is like 
it's annoying when it comes down but there's plenty of ways to deal with it and like this is not this does not need a ban like things just need a time to adjust which i think is something else to note about modern is that this is definitely a self-correcting sort of self-policing format that changes a lot the meta adapts very quickly and you know we've seen this happening this year several times in the past like six months you know there's been three four different like top decks that have had like a big chunk of the meta share that are posting you know top results in all the weekend challenges back to back to back and they have kind of come and gone and you know it's a lot harder in this format than some of the others to say yeah a and b archetypes are the definitive best decks in the format because it's just you know it's a lot broader there's more answers and a lot of different strategies have you know a big toolbox to dig into and figure out how to combat whatever's rising up i totally agree and this doesn't even mention the recent unbans that we've seen in the format because we've had such a fast and ever-changing format since the pro tour that it's kind of slipped my mind that we're in a new environment now we have access to preordain probably one of the best cantrips in the game beyond you know there's preordain brainstorm and ponder which we all think of as legacy power level cantrips and beyond these three cantrips we see that like an increase in uh the the stock of the the blue decks that get to play it is something that's going to maybe help spice up the metagame with decks like creativity getting another big piece and then there's the other change which we really don't know what that's going to do to the format, but Mind's Desire being unbanned means maybe we'll we'll see something crazy. A- am I wrong? Did Mind's Desire get unbanned in Modern or in Legacy? Am I? That was Legacy. Yeah, well, Modern. The only unbanned was Preordained. <laughs> I was like, oh, Mind's Desire in, in Modern. That's cool. But I guess not. <laughs> that would be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, just just Preordained. Yeah. So, but but even with just Preordained, like even you know we're recording this on. August 29th, and the meta is still changing week in and week out. You know, if you look back at even the last couple of weeks of, of MTGO weekend challenges, like there's been different decks on top and in the top eight every single weekend. Just this past weekend, like Amulet came out and posted top results. It had strong results last weekend. Um, Scam is still at the top. Merktide is up there again after a, a, an absence. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of new eyes on the format as players are sort of brewing up the new spice for their upcoming RCQs. And, Things are going to change again for sure. So keep that in the back of your mind as we sort of talk about and analyze these decks. Um, we're going to try and give you like an overview of where things are right now and sort of how all those pieces fit together, but also sort of a broader overview of like why things are the way they are. So you can keep that in mind as as the meta changes. But with that in mind, we are going to start our breakdown now of the top decks in modern. And the way we're going to do this uh, in this episode is just go by popularity according to data from MTG Goldfish over the last month and um, just go down the list in order of what's been seeing the most play. And again, that data is coming from Magic Online differently than Pioneer, you know, Magic Online is sort of the home for modern, um, especially when there's not like a paper season happening. So this data is showing us what the majority of players that are playing modern still are are doing. So in order, the top 15 decks in terms of popularity, we're just going to run through these as a list and then we'll break them down individually. Um, Number one right now is Rakdos Scam, and that's at 15.7%. Worth noting that that has fallen like 5%-ish just in the last couple of weeks. Number two is Teamer Rhinos with 9%, three Mono Green Tron at 8.1%, 
four is boros burn at 7.6 percent five is is it murktide at 6.6 percent sixth is four color omnath at six percent seventh is hammer time at 4.8 percent eighth is amulet titan at four percent ninth living end at 3.9 percent tenth golgar yagmoth at 3.3 percent and then 11 through 15 are jun saga demir control five color creativity grixis death shadow and merfolk so let's nathan start with the most popular deck in modern right now which is rakdos scam yeah well one thing to note just as a caveat to what this data suggests this does not necessarily represent what you're going to see in your paper tournaments when the season starts. This For just sure. that like currently when we look at what people are doing in Magic Online challenges and leagues, these are the decks that are showing up the most. So just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, these are mostly just samples of what people are playing and could definitely change very rapidly as we've mentioned a few times. But yeah, Scam. Well, Cody, you have a lot of experience playing Scam, but let's just start by breaking down on like breaking down what does Scam do well what is its spot in the metagame, and why is it the top dog right now? My notes, and feel free to add in. Well, I think Scam is the perfect combination of can win any matchup. That's a huge trait to have in the, yeah. in the top deck, and one that you're going to consistently see in pretty much every format we cover and look at, which is like the top deck is generally going to be powerful and proactive in some way that means that the opponent's weak draws are going to lose, even when their deck is traditionally built to beat you. And... How does our deck do this so well? With the combination of Grief and Undying Malice, we know that you get to strip two cards from the opponent's hand immediately. And this means that if you have a clear sense of what your opponent's game plan is, you can take those powerful cards and make sure that you're putting on the pressure almost immediately. So your nut draws are going to have a big edge against most top decks. And when we look at the counterplay available, a lot of the ways that you beat Scam is by having a deck that's structurally strong against it which means the top of your deck has to have cards that quickly change the pace of the game in your direction. What, what I, when I say this, the first deck that comes to mind is something like Team of Rhinos, which we'll dive into, but traditionally, the major weak point of Scam is that sometimes the deck doesn't have its nut draws, and it meets this middle ground of trying to play a mid-range slash grindy late-game deck but having a lot of weak draws that don't support this that well. So, for example, if you draw a disconnected Undying Malice and your hand isn't supported, your deck can be weak. If you have to play a Ragavan into Orcish Bowmasters, your deck can kind of struggle. And then sometimes you draw the cheese half of your deck, or you draw like Blood Moon in a matchup where it's not that good, or you draw your Fatal Pushes, Terminates, and Bolts, and your deck doesn't function that well either. So these are sort of the, the main selling points of Scam, however, which is... Even when a card is bad in the deck, you have eight elementals that let you pitch the bad cards and also four fables to get through your deck quicker when you get to the second chapter. And um, at this point, it's been comfortably established that fables, the stock four of overseas and Pyromancer, which we yeah. saw at the recent Pro Tour. Prior to that, actually, everyone played season Pyromancer, but we all collectively came together and said, okay, or Orcish Bowmasters is too good against season Pyromancer. Forcing you to discard and draw two means you can't even play your three drop into two open black mana. And so we can't play this card in the current metagame because the punish of, oh, I'll ping down your entire season pyromancer that you just set up and make a huge creature negates the value that you achieve from it. So that's a huge reason that explains why is this deck good and why are some of the changes the way they are currently. Yeah, absolutely. And you you mentioned some of the like counterplay to the deck being 
having a strong top deck and, and sort of, you know, the saying that you can't thought seize the top of the deck comes into play on that. But like when you do have that sort of nut draw and you're just ripping two cards out of their hand on turn one, you're also gaining information and can sort of sequence the rest of your plays accordingly. You know, that's one of my favorite aspects of the deck is like almost every game you're going to see your opponent's hand, whether it's a grief or a thought seize and, you know, being able to, to play with them sort of open. Um, and then you mentioned that like the deck obviously is weaker when it's not having those draws, which is, it's definitely true. But I think that with experience and the more reps you get that learning how to navigate those sort of mid rangey grindy matchups gets a lot easier. And that's not something that's super intuitive as like compared to the turn one grief scam that like just happens and the other person's not going to beat that right away. But I think, you know, learning how to navigate those games where you're relying on, uh, you know, a random bowmaster and a fable to, to win the game somehow. And you got to piece that together and thinking a few turns ahead to find the right line that's going to get you there. That takes some practice, but I think that is, again, you mentioned the best deck in the format usually is proactive and has a lot of powerful cards, which this which this does. So Scam is right now the boogeyman of the format. And it's just it does have a plan going in every matchup, like you said, can win any can win any matchup. So I think that's definitely a, a point in its favor. But because Scam has risen up so far, one of the other popular decks right now is Teamer Rhinos, which is one of the best matchups into it, just because being able to rip a cascade spell off the top and to put two four fours into play is pretty devastating. Right. And this points to the other thing, which is like decks being structurally good mean that when you're playing a game and exchanging draw steps, the, the deck on the other side should have an advantage. So like you might traditionally think that in a given game, when the games go back and forth, like it's even for each player. And even in the mirror match, this isn't really the case. Like one player has built their deck to be a little bit better in the mirror. So a draw step might be worth like, uh, you know, one versus 1.2 cards in, in a given game if you were to look at it through that framing. And I, I suggest using this frame when you look at the individual cards in the Rhinos deck because actually a lot of the time, especially when, when you get into categories of like, I'm playing a, uh, a version that has a lot of Furies in it and a lot of other two-for-ones from the Rhinos side, it means that you don't really have bad spells that you can draw. And that that's the, the strength you have, which is the opponent oftentimes needs things to go well in the early stages and then hopes that you don't draw your thing in the middle stage of the game. And that's a strength that not a lot of decks can do well, but Rhinos does a good job of it because, ironically, of its deck-building restriction of having to play <laughs> mostly cards that cost three or more, with the rest of it just being removal spells that are good against Skim. Yeah, it definitely sort of turns that disadvantage into an advantage when... It can just draw draw the good cards. Um, I also think that it's worth noting we have a less popular variation of rhinos running around, but we do see it every once in a while. And that's the four color version, which adds white to the mix to play mostly leyline binding and ardent plea as you know a great removal spell plus four up to four additional cascade spells, and then sometimes also Teferi sneaks in there for like the counterplay to the mirrors and stuff. But that matchup is. I think even worse for scam because they just have more cascade hits coming off the top of the deck. Leyline binding can take care of like a scammed fury. If that's what your game plan is, it can take care of, you know, whatever you're putting out there. 
So that, that version's worth mentioning also. And then there's been a lot of tug of war back and forth. It's it's a little slower, less consistent, and it's vulnerable to Blood Moon. But again, you have the advantage of, of more Cascaders, which a lot of people don't like when the deck doesn't see the Cascade spell and it just doesn't do the thing. Um, so that kind of solves that problem. And then you also get access to Leyline Binding, which is, is super good. So just worth noting that there are multiple versions of this archetype running around. Yeah. And additionally, the reason that you play white is often to make your matchup versus scam even better, just because you have 12 Cascaders now. If you thought eight was hard to beat because they could top deck it, well, imagine trying to fight your way through 12. It honestly ends up being a little bit higher variance when you build your deck this way because of the fact that you're weaker to Chalice and EE, but in exchange, you do your thing often enough that you can beat those cards. And then your removal spell being Leyline Binding means you lose less to Fury, becoming a big problem as an attacker and you beat Chalice some more by having that answer. Right. Um, one thing we haven't even gotten into with the Team of Rhinos deck is the fact that Rhinos is now playing this card, Flames of Anore, which was popularized at the last Pro Tour. And I think this is a big deal for a few reasons. Uh, the first being, when you play this card, it means that traditional cyborg cards that are good against you are no longer that effective, particularly if you get to do two modes on the card. So... Sometimes people are combining this card. For for those who don't know, Flames of Anor is one blue-red instant. And if you control a wizard, you can choose two modes, making it sort of like a charm. And the three modes on this card are destroy an artifact, draw two cards, and I believe deal five damage to a creature are the yeah. three modes. So pretty flexible card, all good modes. But if you combine this with a Mutavault that you can activate, then you get a wizard in play. It's as you cast, so they can't remove the Muta Vault in response. And it does a really good job of if you destroy a Chalice and draw two or destroy a Chalice and, and deal, kill a creature, you can win a grindy game. So helps with this plane we were talking about of just can you grind harder than the scam deck post-board. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said at the beginning of talking about Rhinos, that this deck has grown a lot in popularity because of scam and, and sort of the uptick in that but nathan we are seeing also which we'll talk about in a minute uh, the resurgence of is it merc tide and how do you think that that development should that carry on affects rhino stock going forward so i think it's a very difficult matchup to play from both the merc tide and the rhino side if as a rhinos player you just start jamming your spells into merc tide you're probably going to end up losing because they have tons of spell pierces and fluster storms and engineered explosives post board and such but the way that I approach playing it is I treat my Cascade spells like they're five-mana spells, trying to make sure that I can play around Spell Pierce going into the late game and tax them. And then I actually try to deal with their DRCs and Ragavans. And the ultimate hope in this matchup is that you have a lot of strong ways of beating their plan post-board, where they have the EEs. And ideally, you'd have a pile of Endurances if you're playing Teamer, and cards like Brazen Bar will go up. But I think... It's a matchup where the more experienced player is a pretty decent edge. It's hard to play from both sides. And uh, I think Preordain should make it even better for Murktide. So before, I thought that with the builds we had for Pro Tour testing and Team Handshake, it was about you know somewhere between 52 to 55% in favor of Rhinos. But at this point, I would probably swap that percentage just due to the, the idea that you have better cantrips with Preordain to find your hate cards and can construct a better game plan. So... Um, and again, you mentioned the four-color version. This is a matchup where the four-color version can be quite good because you have four Leyline Binding, which does a really good job of managing Murktide Regent, a threat that traditionally you struggle with a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And another reason in the four-color deck to slot Teferian. 
All right. Well, we'll talk about Merc Tide more in a minute. Uh, but first, let's talk about your Pro Tour deck, which is Mono Green Tron. So this is also seen an uptick in recent months, mostly thanks to the One Ring and, and that innovation sort of putting it back on the map. And then obviously in the Pro Tour, we saw Handshake Tron, which we talked about in our last episode quite a bit. So we won't spend too much time on this. But last episode, Nathan, you said that you thought that Tron was not necessarily a great choice right now. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the major benefits of playing Tron is when it's an unexpected deck that people are not going to have a ton of sideboard cards for. And the way I see it right now is people don't want to lose to Tron, so they're going to choose not to, which means they can play more copies of Crumble to Dust, Blood Moon, and Obsidian Charma, which are, in my opinion, three of the best sideboard cards you can play. Yeah. Um, additionally... I, I see Tron as filling a role in this rock, paper, scissors-esque metagame between the top three decks. If we were to break it down, you could say uh, the simplified version is Tron beats Rhinos, which beats Scam, which is this sort of circular metagame Scam beats Tron. And if you look at it like this, it's more evident that like maybe Tron is not, you know, at its best, because now the Rhinos players are playing more hate cards in their sideboard, and suddenly they can make that matchup a lot further uh, than it was in the past to, to being good for Tron. So I think Tron is fine. I don't think you you know can't play it or anything, but I would not be looking to play Tron in any upcoming events right now. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's just it's a lot easier to hate out than some of these other decks. Like you know, we just talked about Rhinos, which has a lot of hate pieces and chalice and ee and and flusterstorm but it has ways to work around those hate cards and still navigate those matchups quite well whereas something like tron when it just is going to get its lands destroyed or you know you have a blood moon come in or it just it has a much harder time sort of dealing with those those hate pieces and i guess the question then is for people that are going to be playing rcqs coming up the next couple months how much Tron hate do you pack? You know, are you, are you leaving that at home and sort of hedging that people are just feeling that it's in this bad position right now and aren't going to play it? Do you still need to be prepared for it? What are your thoughts on that? I think this is sort of the beauty of metagames, right? Like if decks become unpopular because people are playing too many sideboard cards for them, then suddenly you can start picking up that deck again because people have to play less sideboard cards to, to pay attention to the decks that are actually popular. And so while Tron might not be good right now, the deck is more mid-rangey than it's been in the past, and so it can play even a little better against the hate cards, and it's not a death sentence or anything. Um, I expect us to see a resurgence of Tron somewhere in the middle of the season, but probably not right now. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, we'll have to kind of stay tuned and see what happens. All right, um, next up, another deck that has sort of risen up again to prey on Scam and also Rhinos. It has a good matchup against those top two decks and a good matchup into Tron as well, is Boros Burn. And this deck is play a couple lands, go fast and kill your opponent, life total control. So the question I guess is, should you be playing Burn right now? It has these good matchups, but are we putting too much stock in in the fact that these are traditionally good matchups and is the deck, you know, what it's cracked up to be? Is Burn really a natural predator to Rhinos? I, I don't know if I've heard this and I haven't looked at the data, so I'm not making any definitive claim, but claim, but like on paper, I see this as a matchup that should be Rhinos favored, and maybe I'm missing something here. Um it, you tell me. Yeah, I mean um, I guess some of the people that I've talked to, you know, on both sides have sort of leaned in favor of Burn. I think that, you know, it's able to just kind of go faster and 
and has that sort of inevitability that, you know, in those first two to three turns before the rhinos come down, you know, if you're not cascading on turn three, that the game is, is just kind of over. Um, and they also have, I think a lot of the decks are main decking roiling vortex now, which is another yeah. kind of pain point for rhinos, but yeah, that could also be wrong. It could be closer than it seems. And that, and I guess that kind of comes back to the question is, you know, we hear that these matchups are so good for burn, but like, are they actually? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And I'm pretty skeptical of Burn in general, and I'll break down a few reasons. I mean, one, the deck hasn't gotten any new cards in years. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, sure, it upgraded some of its slots to playing Roiling Vortex to account for a metagame, but, like, the the problem with the deck is more by nature. Like, you can lose any matchup that's good by just drawing, like, the wrong half of your deck. Right. It's very unlike Scam, where a person who like play scam can win any matchup they play because the deck is like very powerful and proactive. I would actually say that burn is proactive and not very powerful. Uh, meaning like it's pretty anemic. Like all of its draws are doing similar things, but similarly kind of mediocre things. And Absolutely. if an opponent has a particularly top of their draw, top of their range draw, you're going to struggle in most of these matchups. And um, I, I'm pretty skeptical of this deck in general, but I understand that, it is good against Tron for sure. Um, people tell me it's good against Scam, and I haven't played the matchup, but I will say I'm a little skeptical that it can be that good against Scam. So totally willing to, to be wrong here. Hopefully I'll hear from others who have more experience that are like, no, like it is a buy for burn. There's no way you can win. But on paper, it just seems like not that bad to me. So I don't know. Maybe you've had a different experience, Cody, but I'm skeptical of all of the burn love. I also... I'm skeptical of it, and I think that this scam matchup is it's definitely unfavored for scam, but much closer than people think. I think that sideboard games, when they're bringing in Sanctifier and Vec, it gets a little harder because you really only have like EE to deal with it, but you also just have these super strong draws of like, I'm going to take two cards out of your hand and save myself six life with this grief, and you know, also take your Sanctifier, you know, whatever the case may be. It's Certainly not my favorite deck to come across when I'm playing Scam, but I don't think it's it's unbeatable or anything like that. And yeah, like you said, if they're drawing the wrong half of the deck or they just, all their draws kind of do the same thing. So like there's sort of a limit on the ceiling, I think, for Burn. And I also think something else that's worth considering is that, you know, Burn gets this reputation as like, oh, it's the cheap deck that is perfect for someone who's new to Modern and wants to start playing Modern because it's cheap. And that is good, you know, if, if that's your concern and you just want a, playable tier deck to play in modern then then this is something to look at but also burn is more complex i think than just you know putting burn spells on the stack i think there's a lot that go into sequencing the right plays and i think there's a big gap between someone who's playing burn and someone who's playing burn well i totally agree with this and uh ultimately you're going to see burn like showing up at all these local tournaments and so you should have some sort of a plan for it. I mean, if your if your deck doesn't have any plan for burn, you might just show up and, and get rolled. I mean, a yeah. good plan against burn can also be like you understand how to mulligan against burn, and then you gain a lot of win percentage there immediately. Like Absolutely. that's where I see people lose the most win percentage. They don't understand that they have to mulligan super aggressively into the face of the stack that will kill them on turn four or five every game. Yep, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. And I don't know, this is probably something you go over in coaching a lot, but what are your sort of tips for that mulligan against burn other than just being aggressive to find that early interaction or, or key piece that you need. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the matchup comes down to 
can I do something that they have to use a burn spell to deal with? Because if you ever get to a point in the game where your opponent's throwing burn spells at things that you're doing, you're in really good shape. For example, yep. a turn one Ragavan does a really good job of this. It's a You want to play lightning rods and you want to play cards that your opponent, that counter a burn spell. I think of it like this. Every interaction you play versus burn spell says gain three life. If you can gain three life three times in a game versus burn, you probably win. The game's so, over, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's normally my heuristic. Gain, gain nine life against burn usually wins the game. Even yep, gate six can win the game against burn. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you're like on the more aggressive side anyway, if you're the scam deck or the rhinos deck that can close out quickly on the back half of that. So yeah, good points. And like you said, burn is it's gonna be around, it's gonna be at RCQs, it's just it's gonna be a thing. But have a plan for it, know how to mulligan, and uh don't put too much stock into the hype. All right, next deck has been around forever. Is it Merktide? We know that people just love playing this deck. People love the the is it spells archetype and this deck for a while was on top of the world. It was, you know, dominating tournaments. There were were band calls. People wanted EI band and then, you know, again, as we see with modern, things rotate and it fell off the face of the earth. Now with preordain unbanned, you know, wizards when they unbanned it said that they want to give something back to to this archetype and, you know, preordain is a very strong piece to be put back in and we've seen that translated into some some nice results from Murktide over the last couple of weeks. So what are your thoughts about this deck right now where it stands, sort of the latest builds? There's there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. I don't think Murktide particularly needed a ton of help, but I mean Wizards decided that they wanted to help support blue decks in modern outside of just Murktide. There's like creativity is the other immediate winner of yeah. this sort of unban. And I think Murktide historically has been very close versus scam even to the point where like this might help murktide be ahead in the matchup like a lot of what the matchup comes down to is can the murktide side present like basically a ton of removal to deal with scams threats and on top of that does it get to deploy a murktide in a timely fashion so i i find that like murktide is maybe going to be the top dog once we start seeing more events again and we'll see it's not a very exploitable deck there's no real angle you can attack it on. It, it plays a lot of the most premium cheap cards and the ceiling on the deck is very high. Like you can play this deck at a very high capacity and immediately realize a ton of equity just because the way the deck is structured, most of your cards are one or two mana. And so every turn you're presented with a ton of options that lead you to, okay, how can I plan one or two turns in advance in order to accomplish a game plan that you set out? Really important to play this deck in practice before you play in the tournament. Otherwise, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure, is my other note. You can't show up blind to a tournament with Murktide. A hundred percent. I think that's a huge, huge point worth making. And something we see a lot of is is Murktide, or not necessarily right now. Like you said, we could definitely go back to this. But what we were seeing a lot with Murktide is Murktide is the most popular deck at all of these tournaments showing up. But then its win rate is like consistently 45 to 50%. And then... In the top eight, there's three copies of Murktide. So there's that like obvious disparity of like the strong Murktide players are putting up their results and then everybody else showing up with Murktide that's not as prepared is dragging down that overall win rate. So it's a hard deck to kind of get a feel on like how well it truly is doing and how well, you know, the cards themselves are positioned because so much of it comes down to the player. And I think another point worth discussing is just the different builds of this deck so there's you know versions that are still running ledger shredder which obviously again is good into like rhinos and then there's a couple of versions that are like 
leaning towards Dreadhorde Arcanist. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think a lot of these two mana threats are not very good. I would mostly rather just make my deck lean, play a ton of spells, and even play more cards like Subtlety or Fury that can be flexible and be free. I could see this changing, but my experience playing Merktide in the past has been like these sort of creatures that trade down to removal are kind of bad. And yeah. I just don't really like them. Like I like the four Ragavans, I like the four DRCs, I like the Merktides, and beyond that, I just want my deck to be lean, and I want it to be able to execute this game plan where it plays like a few copies of heavy hitters, like it plays a few copies of like Fury or Subtlety or things that you can hard cast and transition into. Um, the, the deck's performing at its peak when you get to kill your opponent's creatures and cast expressive iterations and hold up counter spells. And yeah. the rest of it is almost just facilitating this plan to the best of its ability. Even mm-hmm. Ragavan is not that well positioned or DRC because of Orcish Bowmaster. And so there is some consideration of like, how do I build my deck to begin into these cards as well? Yeah. I think another uh, point is a Lord of the Rings card that kind of flew under the radar quite a bit, which is um, Stern Scolding. And that's something yeah. that I've seen a lot, a lot of Murktide boards that's just super good right now. Really, really good against Scam. Um, but it just, it definitely preys on a lot of like the most popular creatures in modern. I totally agree. All right. So Murktide definitely is one to keep an eye on. Definitely one that you need to have a plan against. Um, but like we mentioned with Scam earlier, this deck is not like a deck you're going to come against with a silver bullet and and win the game you know graveyard hate alone is not going to get the job done counter spells alone are not going to get the job done um it can attack you from several different angles and it's one that you need practice playing with and against for sure all right so that is the top five most popular decks at this moment um before we dive into our next batch i want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by boogie board the ultimate lcd life pad boogie board's patented reusable writing surface allows you to track life totals and jot down quick notes during casual or competitive play never worry about ruining a notebook in your bag or running out of paper mid-game again after taking down your opponent just press the button to clear and you're ready to start over Boogie Board's best-selling Jot tablet offers plenty of writing surface, while the Jot Pocket is perfect for tighter playing spaces. Boogie Board is available at friendly local game stores across the country and at major retailers. You can learn more about it at myboogieboard.com games. That's myboogieboard.com games. Never start a match without your Boogie Board. And this episode, we're going to be doing a special giveaway. We have um, some custom Bolt the Bird boogie boards, courtesy of our friends over there. And we are going to be giving one away to a listener from this episode. So we're going to give you a two weeks from when this episode comes out, which will be Friday, uh, September 1st for patrons, Saturday the 2nd for everyone else. So you have two weeks from the 2nd, which will be uh, September 16th. But if you want to just get on Twitter, use the hashtag BoltZoneChat and let us know what modern deck you're really enjoying right now, what you're going to play in these upcoming RCQs. At the end of that two weeks, we'll do a random drawing and um, get in touch and mail you one of these custom Bolt the Bird boogie boards. Uh, so thank you again to our friends over there. But our next deck, Nathan, is one that has not really recovered from um, the Yorion band back when it was in its prime, and that's Four Color Omnath. We've seen the one ring come into this deck as an interesting new inclusion. We've seen a version playing Karn and like a wishboard package. And there's versions playing more into the elemental theme with like Elishnorn and the new Nyssa. But the core idea is, is sort of taking over the game with Omnath and playing all the good cards with a, a very clean fetch shock mana base. Thoughts on this deck, Nathan? I think four color Omnath objectively has the best power level card for card. And that's the strength that it has going for it, which is if you look at, the threats, Red and Six, Teferi, One Ring, Omnath, even Delighted Halfling, really powerful effect for yeah. one mana. 
and then the removal package of like Leyland binding, prismatic ending, and sometimes lightning bolt, you have a really strong deck on paper, which is going to be really hard to win in like a late game. And the existence of this deck is another reason why like the scam issue I brought up earlier with your deck structurally having very good draws is real. Because if you thought sees the four color deck a few times or grief scam it, they can draw their way out of it fairly easily. Right. But the way I see it is the deck actually suffers from being a little bit clunky and having some awkwardness where it's good against like permanence on the battlefield, but really bad against spell based things or things that go over the top of it. This is like a deck that gets a lot better if Tron goes down in stock, for example. And yeah, I think Omnath is a good strategy. But currently, it has some issues against like some of the, the top decks. I think Scam is a good matchup for this deck. And I think Burn and Rhinos and even Murktide are not that great of matchups. So we'll see if Four Color emerges as like a deck that gets anything new from the new set, but still should be on everyone's radar. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely a deck where like it's always threatening to get a new piece out of whatever new set's coming out just because, you know, it's such a broad a broad deck and like you said it's just playing the good cards and going from there so not necessarily an issue with the deck so much as just the meta around it next up is hammer time so this is a fast aggro deck that can kill out of nowhere with a big swinging artifact equipped creature another deck that is a lot more complicated than it looks on first glance it does have a good matchup in the scam we just really aren't seeing it right now what are your thoughts on this one Hammer's good. I don't think it has a ton of bad matchups or anything, to be quite honest. Like, when I look at the top of the metagame, I I don't know how Scam versus Hammer goes, but everyone tells me that Scam is not that good into Hammer. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Rhinos is not that great into Hammer, although if they play more Force of Vigorous, they can definitely change that. I think that Mono Green Tron is a close matchup. I think Tron's a slight favorite, but pretty die-roll dependent. And... Burn is a good match for Hammer. Murktide is a really good match for Hammer. So Hammer seems really strong to me right now. And I'm not someone who typically likes this deck that much. So take that with what you will. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure that Hammer will see a bit of a resurgence. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. It seems like it's in a really good spot right now. And I've been saying for weeks now that I just have that gut feeling that Hammer is going to start picking up again. And it just hasn't. Like it's It's been very strange that people are like just not picking it up. And I'm not sure why. You know, it was really, really popular when... Like Luris was was around, and obviously it's it's different than it was back then. But like, it's not like this deck has never been popular, and that you know people were never playing it. So it's just weird that people aren't picking it up. I'd expect it to see more play. Yeah, I believe that in the next month or two, people will pick up Hammer more, and I just don't see a good reason not to right now. Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. Other than the fact that I'm bad at playing the deck, <laughs> that would be my reason to not pick it up. <laughs> Uh, all right, next up is Amulet Titan. Um, relies on Bounce Lands and Amulet of Vigor, cheating Primeval Titans into play, but it also has multiple combo lines. It can kill you with a Valakut through Dryad of the Elysian Grove. The versions now, after we saw Dom Harvey do well at the Pro Tour with it, are also playing the One Ring. This is another deck that like is just, it's not my style, but it seems like it's been putting up results recently it feels like it's in a good spot the players that like play the deck well say they feel like it's in a good spot so i I trust their word on it but what what are your thoughts on titan i will not lie i don't have much information about how good amulet is it's always been sort of an unknown factor for me and i think that 
Amulet did well in the hands of someone who is historically one of the best Amulet players out there. I mean, shout out to Dom Harvey and his <laughs> huge uh, Amulet Titan all-inclusive guide if you want to buy that from him. He's just put a ton of work into it for anyone who wants to learn the archetype. But my thoughts on Amulet are it currently is very reliant on the card Amulet of Vigor and its draws. Yeah. And whenever I play against the deck, I see that if you draw Amulet, you're going to be in a huge advantage, in a very advantageous position against a lot of the other top decks. But a lot of your other draws that don't contain Amulet are pretty weak. So yeah. I I have issues with it because of that. Um Historically, it's been a deck that people talk about as like this really complex and difficult deck to understand because of the sequencing with bounce lands and prime time enters. You have to find a complex line that accounts for the mana you spend and, and putting more Titans into play with Teleria West and stuff. But honestly, at this point, it's not as hard to play. Like the way the deck is built, it plays the one ring, which once you put into play, like even if you don't know the exact line, you're probably going to figure out a way to win. You play right. Cultivator Colossus, which is like a one card combo. Pretty easy. Just put a ton of lands into play every time you draw them. And typically like the Titan lines, once you get one amulet can be tricky, but once you have two, they're pretty trivial kills. So that's sure. my thought on it. For sure. Definitely a deck that like you need to get those initial reps in and like initially learn the lines. And then once you do... It can be quite good. So uh, one to keep an eye on moving forward. I don't think that that is going to get like super popular. It just doesn't seem like a style that many people enjoy playing. So I think that'll probably hold it back in terms of like meta share, but definitely something to keep an eye on. All right. Next up is our next Cascade deck and is one of, if not the best anti Rhinos decks is Living End. And this deck saw a huge upgrade from Lord of the Rings with the land cyclers, allowing it to serve uh, or to have you know additional creatures to put into the graveyard to bring back that are, are sizable bodies and big threats and also a way to prevent flood and it seems like it's also made the combo more consistent from the living end players i've talked to they said that these these land cyclers are just like the perfect addition to the deck and exactly what it was looking for that being said we've seen you know living in stock kind of fall it's one of those decks that comes and goes with the meta as graveyard hate is is up and around but always threatens to to put up good results if people aren't prepared for it. Yeah. And it is really good in the Cascade Mirror head-to-head. It's quite a good deck into Rhinos, and it struggles because it's not that good into Scam. So that's sort of the main weakness where, for those who don't know, Dothy Voidwalker shuts down Charlotte's Agent, where if you have a Dothy Voidwalker in the graveyard that you can put into play with the the, uh, Cascade from the opponent's Living End, and then you can recast their Living End to reset the battlefield, buying back your Dothy and exiling all their creatures. So it's a really big swing piece that makes the matchup a lot worse. Um, you know, my teammate Tristan Wild LaRue spent a lot of time and ultimately was the only person on our team who registered Living End. One plan that he found that worked well was he liked playing Crush the Week, which is a pretty funny inclusion as a way to kill your opponents, uh, Dothy Voidwalkers to set them back on their uh, Fables and other creatures in play. But I'm not sure what the best way of beating this deck is. I mean, you can play removal and and try to exile Dothy Voidwalker with some other cards. I know he also tried Sanctifier, in fact, as a living end plan that you cascade into. But that one, I'm still not sure on if that's that seems a better a little plan. sketchy. <laughs> yeah. If your opponent's boarding in Leyline of the Voids, why not just board and Sanctifier in Vex hey, and you cascade know, that's into true. three of them? <laughs> we have seen Rhinos picking up a similar plan um, in the four color version, uh, boarding Draneth. the Draineth Magistrates and like cascading into that just to flip the Living End matchup. And having played one league with it and hitting Living End twice and winning both of those games when you're just like usually not winning 
in the rhino seat. It, that's definitely a cool, a cool plan. And it, it looks weird, but it works. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Next up is Golgari Yogmoth. This is a creature combo sort of toolboxy deck. You can tutor up a lot of creatures um, to help your game plan. And then obviously you can combo off with Yogmoth and your undying creatures to win on the spot. We have Agatha's Soul Cauldron coming up, which is going to be an interesting addition. We talked about that in the last episode coming from uh, Wilds of Eldraine. So that could increase the, the deck's sort of stake right now, uh, but it just feels like there's a lot of unfavorable matchups for Yogmoth right now. Yeah, scam, pretty bad matchup. Rhino's really bad matchup. Yeah. And, you know, Burn, another bad matchup for Yogmoth. Not, not a great place to be. I saw some of the top teams, like Team CFB, half their members played Yogmoth, the other half played the Rhino's build that was successful for them. And it looks to me like, Yogmoth is just really not in a good spot. Good deck, but just not well positioned. And I don't imagine you're going to see as much Yogmoth this season as you would have in the past. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I think that it's it's just not the pick right now. And and if you're a fan of the deck, uh, keep brewing and, and see what see what can happen. But it, it, the meta is just not kind of Yogmoth right now. Okay, we have five decks left. Let's kind of run through these pretty quickly. I'm going to go out of order a little bit because there's one I want to touch on more than the others, and that's Five Color Creativity. And the reason I want to talk about this, um, aside from the fact that I am a big creativity fan, is uh, that this deck just a few months ago was on top of the format with 15, 20% of the meta share was dominating tournaments every weekend and like just fell off out of nowhere when Lord of the Rings came out between the one ring coming into play and shutting off that crucial turn for Archon and Bowmasters being able to ping down your 1-1 dwarf tokens. Scam also just kind of stripping the hand is, is a tough matchup. But we've mentioned a couple times already, we are getting preordained now in Modern, and this is a perfect inclu- perfect place to include preordain, being able to dig for your combo piece, dig for the enabler, whatever you need. What do you think? Do you think we're going to see a resurgence of creativity ever? And if so, what, what needs to happen for that to come true? I think creativity is a good deck. I mean, let's not... So when I say it's a good deck, we've talked about a lot of these decks, and I think some of them are like metagame choices and can't do well within a particular field. But creativity is the sort of deck that is going to have a relatively good matchup spread regardless of like the decks that you're playing against because the deck is so powerful. Like it gets to play their traditional good removal spell and leyline binding that we've talked about a lot. It's like sort of the key pillar of modern's top removal. And getting to play Fable and Teferi and Renin Six in this package is really, really strong. In addition to that, I think that creativity also has some flexibility with the way that it can build its deck post-board. One thing I like that I've seen is like you can creativity into non-Archon targets, for example. One cute thing is like there's this door that exiles your deck in Thassa's Oracle. It's a five-mana artifact that exiles your deck when it enters in Thassa's Oracle. I'm not sure if this is just like a cute, cheesy plan, but I can imagine that that's a powerful way of of subverting decks that are trying to fight you with one ring. And then the other thing that I would note is like Preordain fixes a lot of the deck's issues. Like the deck's main issue is it's susceptible to flooding with Renin Six and not having many cantrips in its initial builds. And it also doesn't have that great of a plan B right now, in my opinion. Like if it doesn't put an Archon into play, it does have powerful Planeswalkers, but what does that convert to is the real question. And with Preordain, you may be able to set up a bit better and just lean into being able to combo, as well as like if you chain together Fables, that's your other plan B and win with removal and Fable. So I I think it's promising. 
I also just don't think it's that bad against Scam if it gets to play more cantrips to fight through like the discard spells. And I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but I just can't imagine it's that bad against Scam. Yeah, no, I think that Preordain totally changes that narrative. And and anytime you're up against a deck with a bunch of cantrips from the Scam seat, like that's not what you want to see because you don't want to take that card, obviously, but like that can turn into that's three cards deep that can turn into the next the next copy of creativity and also from the creativity seat having access again like we talked about earlier to leyline binding is another big plus um just being able to to sort of snag any piece that's giving you issues but yeah i think this is an interesting position for this deck to be in after it was on top so strongly for such a long time but there's definitely a lot of potential to you know, brew for the meta and, and come up with a version that can can take it down. I think that's something we saw in the past is, you know, week to week, we were seeing a different creativity list in those top eight of challenges. We were seeing different versions almost every week just because the deck has to adapt to the meta and, and it can do it quite well. So another one to, to keep an eye on. Okay, Demir Control, aka Lord of the Rings Control. This deck was sort of popularized right as the set came out because it was containing a lot of Lord of the Rings cards. Now it seems to be moving away from the like Sauron's Ransom package back into something like Arch- Archmage's Charm. And it also uses the One Ring as like a stabilizer bridge to the late game in control fashion to win with like a Sheldred or a Protected Murktide, something like that. Thoughts on this deck? Any? It was it was real popular for a minute. It's kind of slid back down. Not sure if it's the sauce right now. I think this deck is bad. And yeah. I haven't said that much this episode because I think a lot of the decks have merit, but... This one in particular, I think, is like a pretty structurally flawed deck. It doesn't really use the One Ring that well. Like, it can't bounce and get rid of it, and you're kind of at the mercy of it. It doesn't have a way of gaining life, which is like the strength of the four-color deck that is has Omnath. And then the other way that it suffers is, traditionally, I want my, my deck to have some sort of way of having a nut draw, and it doesn't really have any nut draws either. Right. So I'm not a fan of this deck, and I think it was kind of a flash in the pan, to be honest. Okay, you heard it here. World Champ says, don't play it, don't play it. <laughs> uh, the last couple we have are Jun Saga, Grixis, Death Shadow, and Merfolk. I think these three, as we're kind of running sh- short on time here, these three decks are all, they're fine. They're they're sort of like pet decks. There's players that are really attached to these archetypes that, that just love playing them. I think they all have their strengths and weaknesses. In the hands of the right pilot, they can get the job done. But again, these are just not the top of the meadow for a reason. Any thoughts you want to call out for any of these three? Not really. I mean, I think you kind of nailed it. Like people are gravitating also towards yeah, that's the Zoomer Jund Jund Saga deck, and I just think it's kind of people trying something new, and maybe it'll stick. But I don't think it's very good. Yeah, for sure. And again, modern's such a big format that like trying new things is always good, and and that's the only way to to find these these broken archetypes. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm with one, you on that. One interesting thing I'll mention is. I'm participating in the Modern Super League, which is going to come out. I'm going to be on, let me check the date really quickly. I believe it's September 4th. I'm going to be playing in the Modern Super League for the return of it. And I'm playing in a pretty stacked pod, including Corey B or Corey Baumeister and Simon Nielsen, another fellow Team Handshake member and a good friend of mine, as well as Carmen Handy from Wizard of the Coast play design and someone who I've commentated before with for the mocks. And so I won't be spoiling any of my secrets. Actually, the date is September 6th. I just double checked, but you should come watch that starting, I believe at 4 PM Eastern. And 
I'm going to be piloting a modern deck that you'll all find out if you come watch, but can't spoil any of the secrets. I, I know all my competitors are listening in and trying to hear <laughs> what deck I'm loving. So I will say, I'm on to you, Simon. I know what you like. You like Hammer. You like Amulet. I know you're going to show up with one of those decks, and so I'm coming for them. But oh, calling them out. I love it. That's the only thing that I'll leak. I, I'm not going to play a deck that's weak into those two strategies. <laughs> All right. You heard it here first. This is the place to go to prep for Super League. <laughs> All right, Nathan, one more uh, honorable mention that's not necessarily a thing right now, but it, it could could do things. Mono Black Coffers. We mentioned this last week when we were talking about Beseech the Mirror. This deck also sort of saw an uptick in play after Lord of the Rings, but this feels like a, a great home for the new card, Beseech the Mirror. Pairs perfectly with a lot of other four drops in the deck already. You got Ring, Karn, Shouldred. Um, definitely will have to sort of maybe tweak some things a little bit to turn on Bargain a little more reliably, but Bowmasters and Nihil Spellbomb are already a good start. You have like seven to eight copies of those in the main deck, and the new card hopeless nightmare that like when it comes in it makes your opponent discard and lose two life i believe and and when it leaves the battlefield you get to scry two seems like a nice addition as well do you think we could see this deck stock rise at all over the next few months or do you think that that this is just not quite up to par with other strategies it's good when field of ruin is a good effect that's what the deck is built around and i'm not sure how weak the current decks are to field of ruin but if people aren't respecting it and aren't playing their fair share of basics then it seems like it could have a good spot um I will say I tested this deck a bit in testing and I was impressed with it and it looks a lot more powerful in game than it does on paper. So give it a second chance. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a fun deck also to play. I I played a few leagues with it also and I've had a lot of fun with it. So I'm very interested as soon as I can get beseech the mirrors on MTGO. This is the first deck I'm testing because it's a good time. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll keep you updated. All right, Nathan, we know you can't spill the secrets, but a quick recommendation from me if you're sleeving up a deck for your rcqs i will be playing scam i'm really looking forward to playing it this season obviously we've talked about the meta adapting a lot so that's something that i'm gonna definitely be keeping my on uh my eye on but for right now i'm really happy with this deck really looking forward to going into some tournaments with it that would be my pick for modern right now anything you want to say about that that doesn't give away super league details if i were to play a deck right now in an rcq i would play Regular old teamer rhinos with Flames of Anor. I like this deck a lot. I expect a lot of scam. I want to beat Cody if I play him. There's a lot of good reasons. <laughs> Lots hey, of reasons. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I will pack my extra chalices and EEs just for you, Nathan. All right. I'm looking forward to seeing them. <laughs> all right. Very good. Well, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Bolt Zone. Hopefully we've helped uh, prepare you a little bit for the modern RCQ season coming up. Again, use that hashtag Bolt Zone chat over on Twitter. Let us know what deck you're going to be packing for a chance to win the Bolt the Bird boogie board. Thank you again for listening. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a follow or a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Uh, And if you want to help support the show, consider subscribing to the Patreon. You can find the link for that in the show notes. But until next time, get out there and sling some spells. (laughs) 